Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. And we're back, or at least I'm back, for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here for the second installment of the Corona Diaries. Now, for those of you that listened to the first episode, and I encourage you to go back and do that before you potentially listen to this one, um, the COVID-19 or coronavirus has created a lot of adversity and problems for all of us. And as Startup Hustle began to run out of episodes that we had stockpiled. I felt that it was important for us to not stop the podcast, but instead maybe even do more. Now, I am currently in Cebu City in the Philippines. I've been here since March, since the beginning of March. I'm two weeks into my trip to visit the full-scale office, which started as a more or less standard visit and then got chaotic. Now, the world is changing faster than I have ever seen it change. The business landscape is changing faster than I've ever seen. And with that, we have to begin to change with it. In my first episode, I have this, uh, the Corona Diaries, I basically brought everyone up to speed on a lot of things. Now, this is going to be a little more hands-on because uh, as many of you that listened to the first part of this installment came to learn, uh, things changed. And I said, I, I mentioned that I have found myself challenged both as a leader and entrepreneur and a person in general. I've had to make some really tough decisions. I've been through some very emotional times. Now, those of you that know me well, I'm not super emotional when it comes to some things. I can be excitable, but I'm not usually sad or depressed. And I have, in fact, experienced those moments over the last week. Why? Because things are changing so quickly and it provides a lot of uncertainty. With that, I found myself working 20-hour days, sometimes 22-hour days, doing it four, five, six days in a row to the point of exhaustion. Uh, With that, I was forced to really begin to understand what was going on in and around the world and the world of COVID-19. As many of you are aware, there's a lot of information out there, a lot of news sources, and it's often hard to determine what exactly to believe, what to trust, what to look at. And I had to climb down that rabbit hole, not only for current events, but I had to go back and look at past events. Now, for those of you that had fourth grade history class at some point, They mentioned that the purpose of learning history is to try to avoid the past mistakes that humanity has made. Now, what we're facing right now is officially being declared a global pandemic. These have happened before, and they have killed a lot of people. It's not only the first time, it's certainly nowhere near the first time we've had the Spanish flu, the Black Plague. There have been a lot of different situations that ha- where germs and viruses have spread. So as these first couple installments of the Corona Diaries begin, I'm going to share with you some of the basic information that I learned. Now, why did I learn this? I went back and examined 
everything, global pandemic. I went and looked at the current situation, where it was spreading, what was likely, what type of industries were being affected, who would be the hardest hit, how the ripple effect would occur both financially and uh, physically, meaning the uh, health effects and our ability to handle it from a systemic basis. I viewed um, how the effects of things like the Spanish flu, the Black Plague, everything affected the world. I'm going to be honest with you. It scared the living shit out of me. Now, knowing that I had been down this rabbit hole, which by the way, I never found the bottom. There is a hell of a lot of information. There's a hell of a lot of data. There's a hell of a lot of opinions, including mine. I had to force my own beliefs and my own worldview out of it and try to look at things as logically as possible. Now, all of that said, there's a couple things that we're facing. Yes, we have a global health pandemic. With it, we are also creating a global economic crisis. Both are equally scary. In the first one, people get sick, people die. We have the ability to overload a healthcare system, germs spread. On the flip side, the only way to stop it is to possibly distance ourselves socially for a given amount of time in order to stop the virus. That has equally impactful results. Now, you might be listening to this and thinking, oh, I don't believe one way or the other. Honestly, I'm not asking you to. I'm not asking for an opinion. I'm trying to give some regular facts and what you can expect. During this kind of time, false optimism and the way that it affects your decision-making or your approach is a bad thing. I'm not saying don't be optimistic. One thing I did find in history is that humans and humanity find a way to figure it out. Now, many of you are aware of Charles Darwin. He did a lot of infer- he did a lot of research and was the father of the evolutionary theory. Darwin continued to be amazed that it wasn't always the smartest or the strongest species that survived, but yet the species that had the greatest ability to adapt. That is what we will be forced to do both as humans and economically and as startup founders. Now, this is what I find. Many of you know this. I tried to strip away the basics. The beginning of the timeline on the Wuhan virus as it was once now has turned into what we call COVID-19 appeared in China. Um, They had seen stuff like this before. There has been SARS, avian flu, uh, swine flu, stuff like that. At the time, It was very isolated there, or at least it felt like it. I think it was not at first a something that many of us were looking at. It was a China problem. I put air quotes around that. Now, as the timeline progressed, and keep in mind that here in the in mid-March, we are 75 days into this. This went from that quote over there or China problem to becoming a worldwide pandemic in less than two and a half months. I will tell you that I was one of many people who looked at all of the precautionary methods as hysteria. Now, yes, there were many hysterical things like the fact that you can't buy toilet paper or the way that some people react. 
is a little bit hysterical. That said, this is a serious threat. This is an issue. And it's an issue, like I said, both health-wise and economic-wise. Why do I keep saying that? Look, here's the reality that I came to. If we get sick and we still have our ability to preserve what we know and we believe and what we identify with, I'm Matt DeCourcy. I am the founder of a large tech services company. I am the co-host of Startup Hustle. And thank you for bearing it down and getting through this with me. But if all that were to disappear, I it would be just as impactful upon my life as getting sick or seeing other people get sick. That's a realist point of view. Once again, I'm not asking you to agree with me. Just consider the fact that everything that we do has actions have reactions. So the reaction the world started taking was that of isolation. It appears as if that is going to have to be the way that this is slowed down. I have come to that reality myself. And this is everywhere. Coronavirus is everywhere. You look at the stats, the thing I quickly realized, the one way to not have any positive corona tests is to not test people. It appears as if there is a gross, gross, gross under testing of the population in general. Why is that important to consider? (laughs) Because it could be a hell of a lot more serious than we are even beginning to understand. I at first thought, man, this isn't that big of a deal. I saw it spread quickly. My level of concern began to increase. It began to seriously increase when full-scale COO Daryl Blackburn traveled to our office in Cebu and was reporting the general feeling of the way the world was reacting as he traveled in and around different airports. His trip was cut short by by the airline canceling his flight and beginning to reduce the overall flights, which affected him. He had to leave two days early. That right there is where the economic part starts to kick in. There's a reduction in travel. There's a reduction in everything. It has a ripple effect. Having him experience and myself experience empty planes and airports was a stark reality. It was something that started to really sink in. As my trip went on in Italy and Europe and other countries began to see an escalation of problems, I really and truly realized, oh shit, this is coming. It's happening. We knew it would be in the United States. We knew it would be everywhere. The reality I've come to is this is going to be everywhere. This is going to hit every country somehow on all different levels. Now, as my trip continued, shit got real. I literally went to bed one night and the world was one way and woke up and it was a completely different way. What do I mean? This was Wednesday of my trip. Now keep in mind, I am 13 hours ahead of US time zones. On Wednesday of the second week of my trip, I went to bed and the NBA and the NCAA were still either having tournaments or had a league in effect. I woke up the next day to find the NBA had paused the season and it was looking very much as if the NCAA would possibly play the basketball tournament, March Madness, without people, which very quickly escalated into canceling the whole damn thing. The result of that, in a market that was already highly, highly volatile, 
The New York Stock Exchange lost 10% of its value in one day. Now, many of you listening aren't directly affected by that kind of change in wealth, but then again, you are. It affects consumer confidence. It can, it just, it affects everything. And it's a general sign of how the public, investors, and anyone in general sees our economy. That shit was scary for me. I don't own any securities. It did not actually directly affect me financially. I invest in myself, not in stocks. Now, that said, why did it scare me? Because a lot of people that write checks and do stuff do look at that. It has an effect on everything. That is money flowing in and out of our economy. Knowing and feeling that the government might actually do something about it, I went to bed, very hopeful. I looked. I, I figured because of the history that I had viewed, looking back at 2008, the government basically bailed that out. And I knew that they were planning on doing the same. I woke up the next day, once again, 13 hours ahead of you. So my Friday was done as yours likely was getting started. And then saw that the stock market had taken back 9%. It had grown back. It gave me a feeling of confidence. Perhaps a sense of normalcy was regaining. That said, why did it happen? It was announced that there was going to be basically a bailout, a bailout of our own stuff. Now, prior to hearing that, I had begun to spend all of my time here with my local management and staff over the last, over the, the Thursday and Friday of that, beginning to do what's called contingency or continuity planning. This is crucial. For your business. This is crucial for you. And there's a few things that are really important. That's what I'm going to spend the rest of this episode more or less talking about. Now, whether you've heard of them or not, Sequoia Capital is one of the largest VC firms in the world. They're behind many of the monster, monster software plays and companies that you can find. In 2008, Sequoia was pretty well known for publishing a letter that was titled RIP Good Times. Now, in this letter, they had basically mentioned that any and all of their portfolio companies, their CEOs, their founders, should expect the economy to take a dump. And it did. 10 years later, or 12 years later, I should say, this letter and this presentation was viewed as being visionary. It, it included a lot of really great stuff. As you began to be able to look back at it over a longer period in time, it was very easy to realize and understand everything they said was right. On March 6th, Sequoia issued another letter. Now keep in mind, they do this because they are interested in protecting their own interests and advising their portfolio companies, their CEO founders, and all of them about what to expect. I read this letter and immediately realized shit was getting real, people. And I'm going to go over some of that. Now, if you want to look that up, you can Google Sequoia Capital Black Swan 2020, in which they talk about directly the coronavirus having a direct effect on everybody. Now, keep in mind, these people invest a lot of money. They have insight into things all over the world. With what they had already seen in China over the last couple months, they knew 
that we had a problem. I'll let you read the letter directly, but with that, there's a few things they outlined. First off, you need to have some basic expectations. First is that you are likely to experience a drop in business activity. Why? Because in times like this, people don't usually open their wallets. Now, if you read my first book, Balance Me, you'll realize that I often talk about people saying this isn't the right time and why that can be a myth and really just an excuse for not doing the things that you want. That might not apply right now. It really might not be the right time for a lot of people to spend money. There's a lot of uncertainty. It's going to slow down new spending. It's going to slow down general business. And then again, your business has likely already been impacted. Some businesses and industries are going to experience all of this in a level of severity that is greater than others. There, in fact, will be businesses that probably thrive from this. Right now, video conferencing is probably booming. The entire world population has decided to work from home or has been forced to work from home. That said, many people don't have that option. This is where the economic impact begins. I'll give you an example. The NCAA tournament has now been canceled. There is someone that works in a venue, maybe a suite attendant. This person, that's a side hustle for them. It's how they create or find extra money to do something, maybe pay bills, maybe make ends meet, and now it's gone. Within that suite that that attendant might be actually working in, people are doing business. We know this because the full scale has a suite at a local venue. We saw the Big 12 basketball tournament get canceled. We had five straight days lined up of clients and customers that were going to come and talk to us about their businesses and potentially doing business with full scale. That is now on pause. That now does not exist. That could effectively have an impact not only on us, but on them, but on the lady that comes and as a waitress in the suite and needs the money from the tips. The venue will be affected. The teams will be affected. The people selling t-shirts outside the venue will be affected. The restaurants outside the venue do not get patrons. They do not buy beer. That affects the distribution companies. It affects everyone. It goes on and on and on. Don't begin to think that the cancellation of group and conference type events worldwide isn't impactful. Now, we're going to get back into that in a second. You can also expect supply chain disruptions. Why is there not toilet paper on shelves? It's not because there isn't toilet paper somewhere. It's because our supply chain is not used to or is not able to adapt quickly enough to put that on the shelves where it it needs to be. I spent some time wondering, not because it definitely impacted me. Here in the Philippines, people usually use bidets meaning they don't use toilet paper as much. They wash their butts. Now, that said, there's toilet paper everywhere here. It's not a problem. So I begin to wonder why. Apparently, toilet paper is a low-margin product. It is expensive to ship. It takes up a lot of space. And it's not something that grocery stores and other places keep in supply in large amounts. 
our supply chain, meaning the way that products move from vendors through vendors, distribution and everything is not prepared to handle that kind of rapid increase in distribution. Why are people freaking out and buying toilet paper? Because many and most realize they are about to be stuck at home for a while and do not want to be out of toilet paper. Now, people, I want to remind you, if you have Kleenex, that's also toilet paper. There's a lot of ways to embrace this without freaking out. Now, supply chain distribution can affect everything. There are some actual strengths that we have with this. Our local economy in the U.S. actually has a very robust supply chain. We're used to trucking and moving stuff. Now, we have restrictions on that. We don't like truckers driving a specific amount of time or going too long. That has been immediately taxed. You will see little tiny things along the way change and be removed in order to hurry up and fix some of these the U.S. government and the transportation agency, or can't remember what they're called right offhand, has already began to do that. They've already removed uh, restrictions that impact the way trucks can move and drive. Now, I went back to empty planes and empty airports. One thing that people don't know is the airlines that you travel on, the planes that you ride from point A to point B, they also haul freight. It's something they throw in the belly of the plane. It's a source of revenue, for both for uh, for the airline. They're already going from point A to point B. What's a big deal of putting several pallets of this or that at the bottom of it? Keep in mind, massive, massive reduction in flights pinches the supply chain. So it's going to put a bigger stress on the trucking supply chain. So what? how that affects everyone, if you have a business that builds a product, you may have to source different materials. Now, we went back in the timeline. We talked about this beginning in Wuhan and beginning in China. That is where we have centered so much of our supply chain that it is insane. The world is probably going to come out of this realizing that that is not a good idea. It's the equivalent of having your entire business rely on about one client. So if that client were to go away, your business would too. And we're realizing that there's a huge problematic situation coming up with that. I read it as I did my research, I read that certain pharmacy and drug makers, including especially generic companies were being forced to stockpile materials and ingredients and sometimes paying a 50% premium. That has an effect both on the company's earnings and it has an effect on the people that may need the medication should they decide to not make as much of it because they can't afford it. These are the ripple effects of stuff like this. Uh, now back, and then once again, I'm using par partially using this outline from this letter that Sequoia Capital wrote because I found it so useful myself. They also say you can expect less travel and fewer meetings. As I used the example before in, the, in a canceled event, in a, in a venue that wasn't having an actual event, people weren't in suites, doing meetings, doing different stuff, making deals, meeting each other, engaging in business development. Right now, over the last month, we have seen a sharp, sharp decline in business travel. Many of you have seen and noticed conferences canceled, left, right. 
one that was remarkably significant and well-known, South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. 400,000 people visit over a two-week period. It was canceled. That occurred after I left. When I was here and I realized that, I said, oh my, this is a big deal. This is really when my eyes started opening up. And I, it, why? Because at that point, we hadn't confirmed that anybody in Austin, Texas had coronavirus. Now, part of why it was getting canceled, the, conf- the, the, spo- the people that run the event themselves were under a lot of pressure from the vendors and people saying, we aren't going to come. We aren't going to be there. It was going to be a total shit show. They canceled it. I will be surprised if that entity actually survives. And this is where the bankruptcies and other stuff began to pile up. They have sunk costs. They have things that they've spent money on. I used to work in and around the event industry. A canceled show is a nightmare. It's a big deal. At now, I was began to say this as I saw all these conferences fail. I used to go to conferences a lot. There's a lot of deals made there. For some salespeople and sales companies, that is where they do the lion's share of the business. There, That is a major reason why when you go to these conferences or events, you see such amazing displays and distributions. I have no idea when any of these kind of things are going to begin to become possible again. You don't either. Neither does the world. That's uncertain. That's problematic. With these fewer meetings and less travel, people do less business. They, their business development is just basically crippled when it comes to that. And don't underestimate how many deals get done in just basic meetings, basic travel, me getting on a plane and going to Denver and talking to a client. It's not just about conferences and, and events. It's about travel in general. Now, let's talk about travel. The airlines are just being brutalized right now. They have huge staffs. They have a remarkably, remarkably reduced revenue. Then you have hotels. Now, I am recording this right now at a hotel in the Philippines. I was down at the front desk earlier because I had to extend my stay. Why? Because I can't get out of here yet. Now, I asked the guy at the desk, and I've been in this hotel for a couple days, and I have seen two other guests the whole time. I asked him, I said, man, this has got to be a tough time for you guys. I'm curious, what percentage of occupancy do you have right now? He said 9%. 9%. Said, how many rooms do you have? We have 180 rooms, sir. Wow. That means that there are 16, 17 guests, including me, in the entire hotel. It's a big place. I've been up to the rooftop bar, the rooftop pool, a couple different places. Once again, I've seen two other people. That can't be good for business. So you can start to begin to see where these ripple effects come. Now, is it important to stop disease and virus? Yes, I'm telling you, even if we do stop it and we stop it quickly, the effects of what this is already doing to our economy are going to be something that we have to overcome for years. People aren't gonna immediately run and resume doing things as groups. All these canceled events and conferences are either just gonna come back next year for another try where they're going to have to reschedule, coordinating all this stuff on top of gaining the confidence of the general public to actually go out and get in front of people without getting sick is a problem. 
Now, the most important part, and this has to do with planning for your business. I want to again remind you that I'm I I gained a lot of insight myself from reading the 20 the coronavirus 2020 black swan article published on March 5th or 6th by Sequoia Capital. They strongly urged their portfolio companies to question all assumptions about the business. I started doing this myself. It was powerful. We make a lot of assumptions at and around our business. A whole lot. We assume that people will be there to do certain things. A lot of these assumptions are based around our expectation of how we operate our business during ordinary times. We are no longer in ordinary times, people. Things are extraordinary. That's going to have a huge effect on the people at your business, on the products that you sell, the people that you sell them to, or the services that they buy from you. Some things that you can begin to question is your own cash runway. What happens in the event that your vendors cancel business with you? Are your expenses going to go up? Are they going to remain static? These are all problems. Anything that you believed or assumed to be normal must now be questioned. Do yourself a favor and begin to create different types of forecasts. You have to look at all of it. You have to look at every single bit. You go through and you look at all your vendors. You look at where all your revenue comes from. You need to examine who amongst your client list is a high risk of churning or just not paying or slow playing and how that's going to affect you. You have to run these scenarios. Now that said, I mentioned that I have found this last week to be remarkably challenging when it comes to the overall effect on myself personally. Why? Because these conversations suck. They're terrible. They, I mean, sitting around and discussing the apocalypse over and over and how it affects you. And you start to realize the volatility of your own business. You start to realize, oh shit, a couple of things don't go well and we might be in trouble. You start to realize it can all have a catalytic effect on everything else. So you have to begin to start to examine the what ifs. If you're trying to do this stuff in real time, it's too late. Or you will make decisions that are not well thought out. At full scale, we began to plan. We started looking at all this. We looked at who are our clients, who's high risk, where do we have problems, all of it. And you need to as well. The next step is fundraising. Many of you and have a startup and you're trying to get it funded. Good luck right now. I'm sorry if that isn't what you wanted to hear, but I will tell you right now that the influx of new cash is going to pause. Why? People don't want to make dicey, unrealistic investments at times like this. They would rather wait. You're going to see pausing. You're going to see things put on hold. You're going to see a general slowdown in the amount of both private and any type of equity coming in to new businesses or huge businesses. Any business is going to slow down. This could very much have an effect on you. The next thing you need to, the the next assumptions you need to question are related to sales forecasts. They're going to change and they become less reliable. 
Some of you may have very predictable and businesses that are stable that can change. Your sales forecasts need to have a, a good, better, best. They need to have a worse, terrible, and apocalyptic scenario. I just mentioned six different scenarios. That's six times more work than your regular sales forecast. You have to be prepared to do every single one. Now, I mentioned over this last week, I found a string of 20 and 22-hour days with barely taking naps in between. That made me worn out, exhausted, and honestly, it made me emotional. Making And I just say emotional because I was tired. I'm sitting there discussing these, like, what's going to happen if the sky falls? It's not uplifting. It is not empowering. It is not inspiring. That said, I found specific times when I knew I needed to step up. It's my job to be a leader. And I stood up and did that. Despite everything that I felt was putting pressure on me from every direction, this is not the time to let it cave in, folks. You have to be strong. You have to make decisions based on logic. And you have to make them quickly and decisively. One of the things that the letter I read had said is that no one looks back at times like this and regrets making decisive decisions and doing it quickly. You may have to do the same. This is one of the things that I found to be the most challenging and depressing about all of it. You have to start thinking about the things related to your business and its headcount. Do we need to hire those new people? Is this a good time to try to become more efficient by doing more with less? If you're going to make the different kinds of sales forecasts and continuity planning, you have to start doing that. Now, I've seen a lot of businesses fail in the 20 years that I've been around, seriously been around business. I mentioned before in many podcasts, I used to work in the music industry. That wasn't recording or live events. I've worked in musical instruments. In the 2008 uh, housing crisis, at that time, I had I had, was actually working in and around the music industry. I worked for a company named Roland. I was uh, I worked around p- pianos and keyboards. In the 12 years since then, 75% of piano stores have gone out of business. I attribute a direct failure to that industry to the housing crisis. Why? Because for a couple of years, People didn't buy luxury things. When you don't have money, you don't buy shit you don't need. There's a big difference between wants and needs. This is what you have to start looking at and questioning at your own company. Do we want this or do we need it? What is the most essential things we need? Can we get by with this? Where can we cut down? Where can we slow down? Where can we pinch? You have to start thinking about that and you need to remember that revenue and cash levels are probably going to fall faster than your expenses. I previously mentioned that you need to avoid false optimism when it comes to decisions. I've seen a lot of businesses fail because people said, don't worry, it's going to get better. Okay, what happens if it doesn't? You're going to be faced with a lot of these decisions and you're going to have to start making them pretty soon. Now, back to the things that we're questioning our assumptions on. A lot of what we do, and if any of you have a startup or things that you are beginning to work around, you look at your own marketing. You believe you understand what it costs to acquire a new customer or to sell something, your COA. 
That is not going to be accurate anymore. Do not trust your old marketing numbers and assume that you can drive the business in at the same time. Now, during any time like this, some things are booming. You may want to actually change your marketing focus and try to serve someone or something that is in or around anything that is needed right now. While airlines and events are on the massive decline, remote work tools, working from home, different things like that are going to be thriving. It's just the way it works. Now, I mentioned that you have to question all assumptions about your business. And if you're going to have to start looking at stuff, you have to start looking at your headcount. Is this a good time to expand? Maybe not. Now, part of what drives your business's revenue is sales. I personally believe that if you're going to try to make your business survive, you have to be more focal on that right now than any time in the history of your business. Sales cures ales. It does. You need to be in a position where you can continue to find and produce revenue, hold on to the customers you have, find new ones, or shift your focus quickly in an agile way towards places that can and will provide, you could provide services or products to. Now, I've been talking about full scale a lot. Full scale, we provide tech services. We're programmers. We do a lot of stuff. I looked, I had to carefully examine our business and I realized that we, there was a somewhat recession proof nature to what we do. We deal in remote developers. We provide value. In some cases, an economic downturn could actually benefit our business. Why? Because people are tough, forced to make tough decisions. The world of tech is not going to go away, but the way that we provide services to it might. Now, part on the flip side of that, part of what drives the value at our business is the cost of local developers due to a high shortage has driven up the price. Meaning if you want to hire local people in North America, there simply aren't enough people to do the jobs. That may soften. That could have an effect on our sales. I don't know. You don't know. You just have to be prepared for all of it. The last thing I want to discuss when it comes to questioning your assumptions is your capital expenses. What does that mean? That means buying things, expanding. Now, I got here and on the second day that I was here, my top priority was signing a contract to finish construction on a floor of a building that is above the one we're in right now. That's an example of a capital expense. I questioned over the last few days, should I continue forward with that? Should I try to stop that construction? I More and more I looked at it because I'm already paying rent on the floor is that I had a much higher likelihood of being able to repurpose that expense or draw something out of it should the real estate be finished and usable immediately. I decided to move forward with that expense. I was already under contract and I needed to have it done. I only have, I have to pay for that slowly over six months. It wasn't a giant albatross, but I felt that my ability to adapt in a time of need, if I had to, and I had to repurpose some asset towards creating revenue rather than sucking it, that was in a better place to do it. Okay. That was a lot. I know. Now, with all of this, and once again, 
is a lot of depressing shit. It's not fun to sit around and talk about what and how you're going to handle your business failing. I will tell you right now, if you don't plan this way, the likelihood that your business will fail is much, much higher. Make the uncomfortable leap of helping yourself help others by planning for all of the stuff that I just mentioned. Question the assumptions. Start to begin to think like, what the hell are we going to do if? I had never had experience in my life where I've had to plan for what can and could happen in the event of a global pandemic. This is new for all of us. This has not occurred. We will come out of this more agile and more more adaptable. This will likely change the way we live and the way we do business. This is not something that's just going to pass by without having an effect on everything. Now, it's part of your planning. Don't just assume that we're going to be a couple of weeks away from of quarantine and social distancing before this is not a problem. My personal opinion is that the COVID-19 is going to continue to pop up. It's much like, and this could happen again with something else. This shows the vulnerability that we've created for ourselves as in humanity as we have increased the ability to travel from point A to point B and basically deliver viral contagion to each other quickly and easily. The Sequoia letter mentions that they had a lot of insight because they had already been doing business in and around areas that had already been greatly affected. They said expect this to take several quarters to get under control. It's easy to look online and feel that a, quote, vaccine is coming. While it might be, you need to consider that's going to take a while. It's not going to happen quickly. A vaccine is also preventative. Now, I mentioned in the prior two episodes that that much of what I had come to learn changed over a few days. One of those things that changed came from a conversation I had with my dad. And I said, but dad, This is similar to the flu. Most people are going to get through it. He said, Matt, you need to keep in mind that if the flu didn't have a vaccine, it would kill tens of millions of people every year. Why? Because the vaccine keeps more people from getting it. Now, when it comes to COVID-19, it does appear as if 80% of people will experience symptoms similar to what a cold is. About 13 to 15% will experience something more severe. 5% will experience something critical. That might not sound too crazy to many of you until you do the math. Now, at the current rate that the virus has been spreading, it's been doubling every couple of days. You look at numbers and you say, oh, 12,000 people have it. That's not that crazy. Well, if that starts doubling and doubling and doubling again, We are not that far away from 100 million people being infected with it in the U.S. Now, going back to that math, if you look at 100 million people and you look at 10 to 15 percent of them being critically ill to the point of hospitalization, you now have a major, major problem. There are 1 million hospital beds in the United States. We are not set up to be able to handle this on that large of a scale. This is something that has never occurred. If you think that that will come and pass and not have an effect on all of us, it will. Now, there's two ways to look at it. Maybe the world should just get sick and hope the rest of it ends up getting saved. I'm going to be real with you. It might come to that. 
It really might. In Italy, where things are terrible right now, they're basically saying if you're over 80 and you have it, good luck. It was nice being with you. You're going to die. That's fucking crazy. But that is what they're looking at. They have no ability to treat that many people. Italy is a good example of what we need to avoid. Now, with that, you see a complete ban in travel from the UK. I'm sitting here in the Philippines right now wondering the same thing. When am I coming home? I have a flight booked in a few days. I'm hoping they don't cancel it. I'm hoping that in the 24 hours that it will take me to travel home, that I'm not going to be subjected to arrival in the United States only to find domestic travel bans. I'm hoping that I didn't pick up COVID along the way and I get quarantined on my way home because I'm then showing symptoms. That said, when I do get home, I'm going to have to quarantine myself for two weeks. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. All of this is challenging in a way we've never felt it before. I do believe we will be fine. I think this will be Darwinistic. I think this will weed out a lot of weak businesses and a lot of weak situations. I'm hoping that mine isn't one of them. Notice I use the word hoping. I have to plan and try to do everything I can. There's one thing that I know I will do. If I were to go down, I'm going to do it kicking and screaming. I am going to swim, 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 not sink, sink, sink. I want you to keep that in mind. This isn't the time to sink. This is the time to come out swinging in every other way, but putting yourself in group situations. Take this time, take some space, do some planning, look at look up different ways to look and do stuff, and you will get it figured out. Thank you, and see you again next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCarsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.